Welcome to our sermon podcast here at City of Light Anglican Church. We are a new church in Aurora, Illinois, finding a new day in Jesus. We want to see the light of Jesus rise and shine in our hearts, in our homes, and in our neighborhoods. Thanks for joining us for today's message from Father Trevor. We've been working through these parables of Jesus, these stories that he told for the last several weeks, uh, starting with the chapter in Matthew chapter 13. And we said that parables are these stories that Jesus tells to actually invite us in. He, he tells these stories as doorways into the kingdom of God so that we can come live our lives in the kingdom of heaven. And that transformed life of heaven is a life that's worth us giving everything for. It's the treasure we were created for. It's the treasure that we lost. And it's the treasure that when we find it in Jesus, we're filled with joy and we give our lives to the kingdom of heaven. And the good news of Jesus is that that kingdom life, the life of heaven, is here now. That the life of heaven, Jesus brought it with him and we can live in it here and now on earth as it is in heaven. It comes through his people, the church. As Bonnie was talking about, we look around at tragedy and we say, what can we do? What can we do in the face of tragedy? In the face of hurricanes and mass shootings and racial prejudice and national division and young people here in our community in Aurora that have experienced a couple different tragic accidents in the last week. What, What do we do in the face of that? You know, Jesus answered that question. He answered the question, what do you do in the face of a broken kingdom of earth? He said the answer is the kingdom of heaven. And he brings it here with him in his body. And then he sends his body, the church, to bring it as well. What do we do in the face of tragedy? We live as the church, the life of the kingdom of heaven. So we want to keep looking at these parables of Jesus, keep learning from Jesus, how to live the life of heaven. So would you turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew 21? If you've got your Bible with you. If you don't, there's some on chairs throughout the room, and you'll find this chapter in the Gospel of Matthew on page 1247. And for the next several weeks, we'll be looking at parables in this chapter, chapter 20, 21, and 22. And uh, the parable we read this morning was the parable of the tenants, and we'll talk about that in a minute, but I want to spend actually more time on the parable that comes right before it. So will you read with me uh, the parable right before that, the parable of the two sons? Verse 28, this is Jesus speaking. What do you think? A man had two sons, and he went to the first and said, son, go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. But afterwards, he changed his mind and went. And he went to the other son and said the same. And he answered, I go, sir, but did not go. Which of the two did the will of the father? They said, they meaning the Pharisees and religious leaders, the first. Jesus said to them, truly, I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him, but the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even when you saw it, you did not afterwards change your minds and believe him. 
in this story of Jesus, we meet two brothers, and I have two brothers, so I like this story. And actually, while I was studying it, I was at two brothers, drinking two brothers, coffee, and uh, I thought maybe since Jesus tells multiple stories about two brothers, we could have a two brothers Bible study on two brothers. Um, But in this story, the two brothers represent two different groups of people. The first uh, brother, the brother who at first says, I'm not going to go, but then goes, Jesus says in verse 31, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. This first brother represents the tax collectors and the prostitutes. Now, we don't typically go around, you know, thinking about tax collectors and prostitutes, but in this culture, they represented sort of the, the worst of the worst. They were the notorious sinners. They were the infamous sinners in their culture. The tax collector, this was someone who had sold out his own people, the people of Israel, to work for the enemy, the Roman government who was occupying them, to gouge his fellow uh, Israelites and extort money from them for his own monetary gain. So it's, it's someone who's greedy, dishonest, oppressive, and they're a cultural sellout. And the prostitute, this is someone who has completely disregarded the law that God gave to the people of Israel. They're committing adultery. They're doing it for their living. They're clearly not living the life of the kingdom of God. They're publicly breaking God's way. And yet, even though they had sinned and not followed God's way at first, when John the Baptist comes and when Jesus comes preaching that the kingdom of heaven is here now. Repent, turn from your life, turn from your sin, and enter into it. They do. They change their mind. They decide to follow Jesus. They didn't enter the kingdom at first. They were living a life of sin, but when Jesus came and invited them in, they respond to his invitation, and they go in. And they're contrasted with the other group that Jesus is talking to. Brother number two represents the Pharisees the religious leaders, sometimes called scribes or elders, but they're, they're kind of the establishment. These are the people who outwardly look like they're doing all of the kingdom of God stuff. They're, they're keeping the law. They're, the civic leaders, they're the ones that people point to and say, oh yeah, this is, this, these are the people who are doing the right thing. Just before Jesus tells this parable, he's actually talking to the disciples if, or to the Pharisees. If you look There in verse 23, 23 to 27, the chief priests, the elders, they come up to him and they say, by whose authority are you doing these things? In other words, whose kingdom is this? Is this the kingdom of God? And he says, let me ask you a question. Was John the Baptist bringing the kingdom of God? And they completely sidestep that question. They don't want to answer. So they take this political sort of non-committal response. We don't know. Well, with Jesus, not taking a side is taking a side. And not deciding to follow Jesus is deciding not to follow Jesus. They are rejecting John's preaching of the kingdom of God. They're rejecting Jesus. And so Jesus, at the end of this parable, says in verse 32, you did not believe. You did not believe John. You do not believe me. See, the Pharisees were the ones who were supposed to be looking for the kingdom of God. That's what they would have told you. We're waiting for it. We can't wait for it to get here. 
In fact, they thought that by being so good and living such good lives, they could bring the kingdom of God in. They thought the only reason the kingdom of God isn't here now is because of those tax collectors and prostitutes, that they keep sinning. And yet, when the kingdom of God actually comes, they reject it. They think they've already got it. The sinners who didn't care at all about living the life of the kingdom of God, they accept it. This is the parable of the tenants that we read this morning. What does Jesus say at the end of that parable? Look at verse 43 there in chapter 21. I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you, Pharisees, and be given to a people producing its fruits. What are the fruits of the kingdom of God? Weren't the Pharisees doing the fruits of the kingdom of God? Weren't they keeping the law? Weren't the sinners and tax collectors and prostitutes, weren't they not producing fruits of the kingdom? Jesus says the kingdom will be taken from you and given to people producing its fruits because the fruit of the kingdom of God is repentance. The fruit of the kingdom of God is knowing how desperately you need the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is for those who know how much they need it and who know they can't earn it. And the kingdom of God is not for those who think they don't need it or think they already have earned it. See, Jesus' message is good news for everyone who knows they need it. And it is judgment and bad news for everyone who thinks they don't. Which of these did what the Father wanted? Jesus asked. What does the Father want? We read this in Ezekiel. The Father wants everyone to turn and live. The Father wants everyone to enter in. Jesus, after telling a couple more parables to the Pharisees, sits down outside his city and looks at Jerusalem and he weeps. He weeps because the Pharisees have rejected him. Jesus cares about our hearts. He looks at the Pharisees and he says, they honor me with their lips, but not with their hearts. Their hearts are far from me. Don't you have the heart of the first brother sometimes? Don't you have the heart of the second brother sometimes? Don't we all go back and forth? Sometimes the Lord invites us in and we don't go. Sometimes he invites us in and we say we're going to go, but we don't go. How do we have a heart that enters in, that responds to the invitation of the kingdom of God? I want to look first at the heart of the Pharisee. Because all of us have in our own hearts the heart of a Pharisee. That's why Jesus teaches so much about it. The first thing I want to see about the heart of the Pharisee is that Pharisees are legalists. Now, the word legal means law. It's this belief that they had that if they kept the law, if they did everything right, then that would make them right with God. Their relationship with God, their entering into the kingdom was based on what they did. Now, in the gospel of Jesus... 
there is nothing we can do to be right with God. So God does something to make us right with him. He offers us forgiveness completely as a free gift, completely as grace, not something we can earn, something we receive. A famous preacher from a few generations ago, Spurgeon, he once preached, he said to his people, beloved, we are all born legalists. We are all born thinking, believing, or acting like what we do affects our relationship with the Lord, determines our connection to the Lord, determines how much we can enter into the life of heaven. We're born resisting the idea of grace. We're born thinking that our acceptance with God is something we can control, we can manufacture. So we try to manage our mistakes and failures. We try to perform our way into the life of God. We do this in different degrees. Maybe you would say, no, I know I am saved and I enter into the life of God by grace. We practice a kind of legalism light. Yeah, I know I'm saved by grace, but then I'll kind of take it from here. We manage our behavior. I read an article from actually quite a while ago in People magazine. They did this survey. They called it their syndex, their index of sin. And so they just surveyed different people on what were the worst sins and how often did they commit them. Wouldn't that be a fun survey to fill out? So as you might expect, uh, sins like murder, child abuse, um, those were at the very top. Sins, uh, according to this list, like smoking and swearing, those were at the bottom. Um, Parking in a handicapped spot was really, really high on the list. Everybody hates that, right? Um, But then other sexual sins barely made the list at all. Cutting in front of someone in line was worse than uh, divorce in this list. Overall, uh, readers said that they committed about 4.64 sins a month, give or take. About 4.6, that's it. Just Do you see what, see what happens so easily in our hearts? Uh, other sins are bigger than mine. I, I, yeah, yeah, I might sin some, but only 4.64 times a month. It's not, that's not as bad as a lot of people. And they were, the, they were the sins on the bottom of the list, not the big ones. We're legalists, or legalist light. We think that what we do makes us right with God. So what happens when we have a Pharisee heart of legalism? Well, Pharisees run PR campaigns. Pharisees run public relation campaigns for their spiritual life. I read this article by Fast Company, this online business journal about SeaWorld. In 2013, the documentary Blackfish came out. Maybe you've seen it criticizing SeaWorld for its treatment of killer whales. And this uh, documentary resulted in negative headlines, declining attendance, lost sponsorships, the stepping down of their CEO, their stock plummeting 37% in one year, and ongoing social media hashtags such as hashtag don't go to SeaWorld. Pretty straightforward, but um, this one's pretty funny. Hashtag thanks but no tanks. So in 2015, a couple years later, they fired their entire marketing department, 
they hired a bunch of consultants and they embarked on a multi-million dollar, multi-platform PR campaign to try to tell the positive things about SeaWorld, to try to rebut the uh, critics of SeaWorld, to try to improve their reputation. We all run spiritual PR campaigns for our lives. We all try to magnify what we think is good. We try to minimize and hide what we think is bad. We all do this. We talk kingdom-sounding talk. We do kingdom-looking things. We Instagram our devotions. We subtly manage other people's perceptions of us. And actually, we start to believe our own PR hype. We manage our own uh, view of ourselves. We work so hard to maintain our brand as a good person, a good Christian, a good leader. We become self-deceived either by pride that we actually think we're this good or by shame that we're afraid of not being what we want to be and what we think we are. And whether we're Pharisees out of pride or whether we're Pharisees out of fear, what Jesus told the Pharisees in his day applies to us. The inside doesn't match the outside. The inside of the cup is dirty, even though the outside of the cup is clean. And then, when we run our Pharisee spiritual PR campaigns, they always have a a dark side to them, too. It's the the smear campaign. So SeaWorld doesn't only try to tell their story, but they go after the credibility of the person who made the documentary— and they fund a third-party website that trashes his credibility. They find and release a video of him saying some uh, inappropriate things to try to discredit him. Because the best way for us to look better is for someone else to look worse. The best way to get the media news cycle off of us is for someone else to have a scandal. So we're really good at shifting to others. We become judgmental as Pharisees. This is the heart of the Pharisee for our PR campaign. Uh, Social scientist and researcher Brené Brown says that research shows that we judge others more in areas where we're most vulnerable to shame. So we judge others' weaknesses in areas that we know, maybe just subconsciously, that we are also weak. So that if they are doing worse than we are, we can feel better about ourselves. Why can't they get their act together? Why do they still struggle with that? Why don't they show up to help with this? We turn into moral gatekeepers. We're so good at this. We do this so subtly. We can be, we can be judgmental about other people's judgmentalism, can't we? Why aren't they more grace-filled? Tim Keller says, when you're pharisaical about Pharisees, you're a Pharisee how subtle it gets inside of us. We all have this in our heart, this trying to look better than we are. Because we believe in our hearts that the kingdom of God is something that we do on our own, that our life in God is something we can earn, that we can work out, not something we receive, not something we desperately need. But Jesus is not interested in our hype. He's not interested in our hype. He's interested in our heart. 
He says, your heart is far from me. But he is close to those who know their need. But you know what? The Pharisee in our hearts hates to need. We hate to need. Ever help someone move uh, boxes? You know, they're, they're moving where they live, and so there's all these boxes, and inevitably someone will pick up a box that's much too large. No one would expect any single person to carry this large box, and they start carrying it, and someone says, oh, that's huge. Do you need a hand? Nope. I got it. I got it. They throw out their back. It's too big. No one would expect them to carry it, but I hate asking for help. I hate receiving help. How many of you like helping other people? Do you like helping other people? How, how many of you like other people having to help you? In our pride, in our fear, we don't want to need anything from anyone else because we think needing something is weakness. And actually, a lot of the time, the reason we help other people is so that we can know that they're needier than we are. Don't you hate needing things from somebody else? We all have in our heart this line, this pharisaical line, where up to this point, maybe it's okay to need, but from here on out, I'm going to take it. Up to this point, I have to do it myself. So yeah, maybe I needed Jesus to save me, but I'll take it from here. Yeah, maybe I need Jesus to save me, but I don't need you to pray for me. Maybe I need Jesus to save me, but I don't need somebody else to help me. We all have this line where we're afraid to need more than this. I shouldn't have to need more than this. I should be able to do this myself, right? Because in our hearts, we think that something good in us is necessary to be loved by God. You know, we think that performing well enough gets us a hug from God the Father. Like we, like we earn a connection to him. But do you know who God is connected to? Not the folks who think they can do it on their own. God's connected to the folks who know their desperate need of him. That's how we get connected to God. Because in our weakness, he brings in his strength and his sufficiency. Okay, the lie of our Pharisee heart is that the kingdom of heaven is for those who can live it on their own. The lie of our Pharisee heart is that the church is for those who have it all together. The lie of our Pharisee heart is that the kingdom of heaven is for those who don't have problems, for those who don't have addictions, for those who don't have need, for those who can dress nice enough, for those who look like me and who look like you and who vote like me and you. The kingdom of heaven is for someone who's, who's okay. Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is for everyone who's not okay. We think the kingdom of heaven is for the healthy, not the sick. Imagine someone comes into your workplace, someone comes into your school, we, we've all seen this happen, and you notice that they're coughing, and maybe they're, they're wiping their nose a lot, and you look at their skin, it's a little bit clammy. 
You're like, are they running a fever? And someone shouts, get out. You will not get us sick. You, how dare you come in here sick? This is a, a place of work or school. You can't get us all sick. Get out, get out. We've, we've, we've done that, right? Someone brings their sick kid into play group or whatever. No, get that kid out of here. They're sick. They're going to get all the kids sick. Imagine that happening at a hospital. Imagine going into a hospital and you've got all these signs of some infectious disease and the hospital goes, you can't come in here, you're sick. No, that's not what happens, is it? No, at the hospital they say, you're sick and you've come to the right place. Because on your own, This disease will kill you. But here we have a doctor. And he has medicine. And he will give it to you. And we'll we'll be there with you and we'll help you find healing. It, It can be messy, but listen, we've all gone through it. So we'll go through it together. Because you're at a hospital and it's safe here. And that's what we're here for. Meanwhile, there are those who are sick but through their own clever means and self-deception have learned to hide their symptoms and they will stay in their home and they will die there, never believing that they are sick. But Jesus says, I've come not for the healthy, but for the sick. And that is sarcasm, friends. When he says to the Pharisees, I've come to the, the healthy, he's being sarcastic. There's no one healthy but there are those who think they are healthy and there are those who know that they are sick and they need him. Jesus says, I've come for those who know they need me because I am a great physician. The Pharisees take their own temperature and think they're healthy. But Jesus diagnoses them as whitewashed tombs. They look good on the outside, but they're dead on the inside. He's come for everyone who knows they're dead, who knows they need a new heart, that they need a new spirit. We think the kingdom of heaven is for the healthy because we don't want to admit that we're sick. We don't want to be sick. And when we, who know how sick we are, see others who are sick, and others who are needy, and others who are broken. We don't judge because we're seeing ourselves. We're looking in the mirror. We know that that's who we are too. And the more we are healed and the healthier we get, the more we come to know how desperately we need Jesus. And the more we as a church become a place where it's safe to need Jesus and where we can be unashamed to need Jesus. The kingdom of heaven is for those who know how desperately they need it. The kingdom of heaven is not for those who think they already have it. The kingdom of heaven is good news for those who know they need it, but it is bad news for those who think they have it. From them it will be taken away. But to those who know they need it, to them it will be given in full. The sinners, the tax collectors, the prostitutes, their lives were a public, dramatic rebellion against God. 
But when they repented and entered the kingdom of God, their lives became a public, dramatic transformation in God. When Jesus in this passage says, the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him, he would have been with his followers. That included tax collectors and prostitutes. They would have been standing there with him. One of the prostitutes was a woman that was about to be stoned. And Jesus says, whoever hasn't sinned and doesn't need the kingdom of God, you throw the first stone. And it's likely her that's the same prostitute that later anoints Jesus' feet before he goes to the cross, an act of complete devotion to Jesus. Jesus says to her, the one who has been forgiven much loves much. We have all been forgiven much. One of the tax collectors that would have been there with Jesus, following him, living the life of the kingdom of God, was named Matthew. And he wrote this gospel that we're reading this morning. The kingdom of heaven was given to sinners who confessed that they were sinners. Because the only sin that remains unforgiven is the sin that remains unconfessed. If we admit our need and are faithful, the Lord is faithful to forgive us. If we admit our need, he is faithful to supply. Maybe you're here and you know your need for Jesus. And you're ready to confess and repent and enter the kingdom for the first time or for the first time in a while. Maybe you're here and you'd recognize in your heart the heart of a Pharisee. Well, There's hope for that heart too. Because of all the Pharisees who rejected Jesus, there was one who came to Jesus by night because he still cared about what people thought. But eventually who came to Jesus by day, Nicodemus. He repented. He believed. And because there's hope for the Pharisee Nicodemus, there's hope for my Pharisee heart. And there's hope for your Pharisee heart. In a little bit, we'll sing the song, Jesus Paid It All. I hear the Savior say, Thy strength indeed is small. Child of weakness, watch and pray. Find in me your all in all. We have been invited in to the kingdom of heaven to find our all in Jesus. How often we say, I want to follow you into the kingdom, but then we don't. How often we say, no, I don't want to follow you into the kingdom. Don't you long to be the first son? I long to be the first son, but so often I'm the second one. We didn't get it right the first time. We went our own way the first time. But in God's grace, he gives us an invitation to a second time. Better late in the kingdom of heaven than never. We are always late to the kingdom of heaven. We are always late in loving the Lord. But let us wait no longer. Lord, now indeed I find thy power and thine alone can change the leper's spots and melt the heart of stone. That passage from Ezekiel said, get yourself a new heart and a new spirit. Come, repent, turn, and live. In the kingdom of heaven, we need a new heart. In the kingdom of heaven, we are given a new heart, a kingdom of heaven heart. 
so we can obey him, not just with our lips, but with our lives. It's here. The invitation is here. For nothing good have I whereby thy grace to claim. I'll wash my garments white in the blood of Calvary's lamb. So Jesus does what neither brother in the story could. When the father asks him to come, he does. When the father asks him to go and work, Jesus says, I will, and then he does. And he goes to the cross of Calvary, and the one who has no need takes on our need. And the one who has no debt takes on our debt. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. There is hope for my Pharisee heart. There is hope for your Pharisee heart. If we'll let the Lord put it to death. If we'll let ourselves owe everything to him. If we'll repent and believe the good news, the kingdom of heaven is here. Thanks for listening to this podcast from City of Light Anglican Church. We'd love to hear from you. You can find us online at cityoflightanglican.org. And now, may the light of Jesus scatter the darkness from before your path.